in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Whole lot of NBA news this morning. Adrian Wojnarowski just reported that Stan Van Gundy is out as the Pelicans head coach. Van Gundy was there for one year. They went 31 and 41, finished 11th in the West. They did not even make it to the uh, play-in portion of the postseason. But Van Gundy is out. That's the phrasing uh, Wojnarowski used is he is out. I assume that means fired, but he didn't say fired. So there's a chance Dan Van Gundy might have just said, no, thanks. Well, his friend just got $50 million from DraftKings to start a radio show. So maybe he he just, he's like, he's going to join Levitard? Yeah. I mean, I would do that. Yes, I would too. Instead of being like, we always lose. Uh, none of these kids listen to me. I'm miserable. I'm fascinated what happens with Zion. Uh, he is one of the best at attacking the rim that we're probably ever going to see in the sport. But I don't know if he's simply good enough that you can say we're going to build a championship contending team around him. So I'm fascinated to see what New Orleans does with Zion. What we need to do, team him up with Westbrook. Like, I think there should almost be a level of like, okay, you've got guys like Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson. Like there should be like a super team formed out of guys that didn't make it like out of the first round. Be a great team. Well, how they win the title this year because they're healthy. Sounds like my fantasy basketball team. Zion's healthier than half the damn teams in the playoffs. How do you hurt that guy? I don't know. I feel like if you he like went, I, yeah, what well, yeah, but I also feel like if you went up to him with a knife and tried to stab him, you'd just wind up with a broken wrist. Next question. Chris Paul has entered the NBA's health and safety protocols. So the Suns have already advanced to the Western Conference Finals, meaning they don't have a game anytime soon. Um, the report did not specify if he tested positive or was a close contact. That report from Sham Sharnia. So right now, there's no timeline on when Chris Paul could return. NBA players, if vaccinated, have a shorter timeline to return versus NBA players that are not vaccinated. I don't believe, I haven't seen anywhere that has said Chris Paul is or is not vaccinated. So that's another factor here. Um, the good news for the Suns, though, is they, they're already advanced. They're already through to the Western Conference Finals. They're waiting on the winner of the Jazz and Clippers. That game, that is uh, game five is tonight. So there's at least two more games in that series, potentially three more. So this could end up being a non-issue. Chris Paul could be back in plenty of time for game one of the Western Conference Finals, but it could be more serious. Like it, it always could be. Like we're talking about his availability. It is COVID. If he tested positive, it could end up being an actual issue for Chris Paul health-wise. And this looks kind of stupid talking about is Chris Paul going to be able to play in game one of the Western Conference Finals. Are you second screening it tonight? Or are you going to be at the, uh, you going to be at T-Mobile? I'll second screen it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you'll be, all right. 
Probably three screens, but I, yeah. I actually, I would, I'd really enjoy that if you were the media person who just is updating like, whoa, the Clippers are up by seven. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you, sorry, sorry. Also this morning from Brian Windhorst, Kawhi Leonard is gonna miss game five against the Jazz tonight. Might miss the rest of the series, might miss the rest of the playoffs with a knee injury. So the Clippers are tied 2-2. They won the games three and four after going down in a 2-0 hole. And now they're best players. Outside of Kevin Durant, maybe the best player in the playoffs. Um, I it, It's been a brutal playoffs where nobody's available. I mean, everybody's getting hurt to some degree. And like the healthiest team is going to win at the end of the day, even if it's the Atlanta Hawks. It's bizarre. And with Kawhi Leonard, I mean, if they don't have him... Paul George has to have a good playoff game. Good luck. Like, I guess that's it. Like, are they going to play Rondo now? Rondo's going to have to have a good playoff game. So He's got cookies. He does have cookies. So, I, yeah, it's brutal. Like, I, what what are you doing if you're watching the Clippers if Kawhi's not there? You're watching Paul George and hit the side of the back. Listen, <laughs> maybe he'll go for 42 tonight. Maybe he'll have a monster game, but I wouldn't count on it. I'd let him. Let him let let him take as many shots as he wants. Oh man! I don't care about him. Next question. The Nets beat the Bucks to take a three-two series God. lead yesterday. Kevin Durant had forty-nine points in a triple-double. Uh, the Bucks had a sixteen-point lead at one point. Yep. James Harden played. He played forty-five minutes, five points, one of ten shooting. Like he wasn't exactly effective. For the Nets, and despite Kevin Durant sort of showing out and proving, hey, I'm the best player in the NBA right now, the story is more about Giannis today because Giannis got 34 points. He was actually an overall effective offensive player, but late in that game, he took a pull-up three in transition, like about four minutes left. Late in that game, he had a post-up on James Harden and took a fadeaway about 12 to 15-foot jumper instead of trying to attack the rim against James Harden, who might only have one good leg. Uh, and maybe more importantly, Giannis has now said he wants the challenge. But while Kevin Durant was going off for 49 points, Giannis never guarded Kevin Durant. Which, if you're the Bucks and you have Giannis, what's the point in having Giannis if you're not going to put him on Kevin Durant? Pretty much all the time, but especially when he's going off for 49 points. That game was miserable. I am not happy today. Great question. Thank you. The Tampa Bay Lightning beat the New York Islanders 4-1 to yesterday. That series is now tied up at 1. If we're assuming the Golden Knights are beating the Canadians, really want it to be Tampa Bay. You want them to play... I mean... I don't know. I thought it, I just, the, the trots angle like, is fun. Completely disrespecting the Islanders. And yes, Barry Trotz has, what has he won? I think five playoff series since he left the Capitals and the Capitals have yet to win one. But I am not as intrigued by that as the Golden Knights playing Tampa Bay, who A, won the Stanley Cup last year, and B, is in that realm of, hey, this is one of the best teams in hockey. Even if they finish third in their division, it's always been, hey, Tampa Bay is one of the best teams in hockey now that they're healthy and have a team that's not even close to being legal against the salary cap. Also, if we get Tampa Vegas, it's two teams 
whose playoff rosters are nowhere near legal for the regular season because of the salary cap. Neither one of them has a legal roster for the regular season. So if we get that, cap circumvention is the way to go in the NHL. Just literally pay a guy $30 million to be like, oh, yeah, no, you don't have to do, you don't have to show up. Just, just, just come on whenever we hit the playoffs. You're hurt <laughs> until game one of round one of the playoffs. That's a great, great question. The Golden Knights will play the LA Kings in Salt Lake during the preseason uh, for the next three years. They are Kings home games. And here's my question. Are the Kings trying to claim that they are now the team of the Rockies? I mean, I was thinking more that aren't the LA Kings the ones that always have to play outside? I mean, they didn't this year, but like famously didn't the Kings They're almost play outside. Oh, they aren't? They're playing at the Jazz's the Jazz Arena. Oh, I just I every time you say Salt Lake, I assume they're playing on Salt Lake. No. This is it's a preseason game too. It's gonna be way too hot. Be like September. Wait, I don't know. Is it's their preseason the normal? Whatever. But I, I just enjoy that the Golden Knights and Avalanche are like, yeah, we're both the team of the Rockies and the Kings are like, yeah, we're gonna be the ones that play home games in Salt Lake during the preseason. Kinda stupid. Next question. The Las Vegas Aces beat the New York Liberty last night, 100 to 78, losing at the end of the first quarter. But Kelsey Plum had 32 points on 11 of 16 shooting. And Kelsey Plum had what is an efficiency dream game. She made seven of seven free throws. Free throws, very efficient. She took nine layups, made seven of them. Layups, very efficient. She hit three of six three-pointers. Three-pointers, very efficient. She only took one shot from the mid-range, and she made that one. Mid-range, not efficient. I can't believe that happened on a team that Bill Lambert coaches. How mad was he? Like, damn, threes, layups. Get to the elbow and take a jumper. Do a, he, do a spin move. He actually fade away. In the post-game press conference last night, uh, somebody asked him a question about De'Erica Hampy, and he said something to the effect of, yeah, we've got to get more out of her offensively. We need her to knock down some mid-range jumpers. I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> you need her to get layups. You need the layups, Bill, not the mid-range jumpers. Bill Lambier literally is driving around somewhere today listening to you going, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him real mad. Next question. Jamal Adams is holding out uh, safety for the Seahawks. He would be going into the fifth year of his rookie deal. His salary would be $9 million, but he wants a new contract because he doesn't have any years after this one on his deal. The Seahawks have come out and said they will not fine him uh, because they can fine him for not showing up to mandatory camp. Uh, I'm curious how this plays out because fifth-year rookie deal holdouts are, are interesting because that is the one time on a rookie deal where a player can actually make a decent amount of money but it's still not really a lot, like $9 million for Jamal Adams. It's not a lot for Jamal Adams. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. I'm also interest, interested to see with the Raiders, the one bad thing, well, aside from not picking good players, the one bad thing about all the first-round draft picks the Raiders have had is they're all going to come up on their fifth-year uh, fifth options and then their new contracts at kind of the same time. So nah. we're going to have Cleveland Furl. Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, all at the same time coming up. And then the next year, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett all coming up in terms of what their fifth-year option is, if the Raiders pick it up, and then do any of those guys end up holding out? 
obviously what we've seen out of Abram and Arnett and Ruggs, they haven't done anything to suggest they could even hold out at that point. But Josh Jacobs is an interesting one. And Cleveland Furl might be an interesting one because Furl's proven to be a, a capable player in the NFL. He's by no means a star, but he's a capable defensive end in the NFL. So those are the two interesting ones. Josh Jacobs and Cleveland Furl, when we get there, we're still a couple years away, but when we get there, would either of those two guys hold out and say, hey, I need to get paid. I'm not showing up. Like, how how do they end up handling that situation? Because they got a lot of rookies, and if any of them have any good seasons, the holdouts are definitely possible. I mean, don't you just sign them to a long-term extension before you need to? Yeah, normally, increase their cap it by $9 million before their fifth-year option even comes up. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's how it's done, isn't usually it? Usually the smart way to do it. All right, coming up next, Major League Baseball. Oh, foreign substances. What a great story that we finally got some punishment that might actually harm the teams here. First pitch swinging, Fernando Tatis Jr. to the opposite field, gonna go. A two-run homer, number 20. Two to nothing Padres here in the first. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. So Major League Baseball yesterday announced the punishments for players who are caught using foreign substances on baseballs. Uh, June 21st is the date that they are going to begin checking on a regular basis. Umpires checking players, uh, pitchers, I should say, on a regular basis. So player will be ejected, pitcher will be ejected, and there will be a 10-game suspension with pay. But what's interesting is that teams will not be able to replace the player on the active roster. So normally, if a guy gets suspended for you know performance-enhancing drugs or whatever, he threw at a guy's head or something like that, you can replace the guy on the active roster. But if a pitcher gets caught with foreign substances, he is not able to be replaced on the roster, but he's not eligible to play for the team for their next 10 games. The interesting part of that is sort of the look of Rob Manfred versus the Players Association because a real punishment for the player would be 10 games and they don't get paid, right? You take away their money. We talked about it yesterday. Starting pitcher, if you get caught and it's 10 games, you miss a start, maybe two, and you get paid for it, that's just like a little mini vacation and... It's June. It's July. You don't need to pitch that many times anyways. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But for the teams now, because they lose that roster spot, now you're going to have a much harder time filling innings. You're going to have a much harder time figuring out who to pitch in some of these games. So the punishment has shifted to the teams. And it's fascinating because it's almost like Rob Manfred didn't want to punish the players that harshly, didn't want to get into any sort of fight with the uh, Players Association over taking away guys' pay because players are very upset about this. Uh, They're very upset about being caught cheating and not being allowed to cheat anymore. So it's interesting that Manfred's punishment is more geared towards the teams than it is the players. There's another part of this that's, that's fascinating. So anytime there's a foreign substance found on a baseball, the pitcher is responsible. They basically do not care how it got there. So conceivably, you could lather up a baseball with pine tar, throw it to the pitcher, and if he pitches it, he's suspended, even if you're on the other team. But if, let's say, for example, some like, you know, your backup second baseman in the dugout rubs up the baseball with some pine tar or, or something to help out the pitcher, right? 
that guy also gets suspended. So you conceivably could have two guys suspended at once, pending on who put the substance on the baseball, and then you would be down two roster spots. So this is going to be fascinating. I am kind of excited to see how this plays out because it sounds a lot like guys are going to stop, but I also can't imagine they're all going to stop and like how umpires are going to check for this will be interesting. Cause like as an example, right? Guys will keep pine tar, whatever the hell they're using. They'll keep it like something in their glove, right? Or on their hat or whatever. We've seen guys have gloves on their arms. The guys that get caught always have like, why is there a giant stain on your arm that's different from your skin color? I don't know. So, but one of the areas where guys have kept it, according to the Sports Illustrated story, is inside their waistband on their pants. And I cannot wait for an umpire to ask a pitcher to like take his pants off. We need to bag the evidence. Right. Like, okay, what's on the ball? Come here. Like, I'm looking around. It's not on your glove. It's not on your neck. Take your pants off. off. We're looking inside the waistband. There it is. We got him. And he just holds up the pants while the pitcher's like half naked on the field. I can't wait. It's going to be hilarious. Like, how umps are going to enforce this is it's going to be, I don't know. I'm excited to see how it happens. Um, Am I the only one that's a little afraid that we're going to get, like, nothing but position players pitching because they're the only ones that are used to throwing without something on the ball. No, because if you don't get to replace the pitcher oh. that gets suspended with an actual pitcher, yeah, maybe. you're suddenly it's going to be like, I got three dudes. Yeah. We can't pitch. We can bring in our shortstop to close it out. Maybe might be the best way to do it. The entire Dodgers pitching staff has been <laughs> suspended. And so <laughs> Cody Bellinger will pitch. Um, One narrative I'm tired of hearing already. There is this idea that the hitters in baseball want pitchers to have substances because it gives the pitchers better control and the hitters will not get hit by as many pitches. Some, some hitters have come out and said that too. Like some guys have actually voiced that as like Alonzo, let them use sunscreen or whatever the hell they want to use. And because I won't get drilled. Hit by pitches have gone up every year for like the last three seasons, right? Like as this has apparently become an increasingly bigger issue of guys using this, uh, you know, illegal substance to get better grip hit by pitches are going up as well. So it's not like we're at some all time low for hit by pitches and it's like, uh Oh, now it's not safe, but here's why it sounds stupid to me. The entire reason that major league baseball is now cracking down on illegal substances is because nobody can hit is because the pitchers have become too dominant that there are so many strikeouts every season and that the batting average is like 237 across major league baseball at the moment, right? That's why major league baseball is cracking down because pitchers are so dominant. So the argument that, okay, they need the sticky stuff to stop from drilling batters is suggesting that this pine tar or sunscreen or whatever they're using makes a guy go from being a guy that's going to hit every batter that comes to the plate and a guy that's going to have a 1.7 ERA and strike out 15 in seven innings. Like, that's that's impossible. These are major league pitchers. They're not suddenly going to not be able to throw a strike anymore. They might not be able to paint the corner with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It might need to be 96 miles an hour, or it might catch more of the plate. But they're not going from the greatest pitching we've seen since, like, the dead ball era 
to all of a sudden they're drilling every other batter that steps into the box. It cannot make that big of a difference. So hit by pitches have gone up since Tony La Russa rejoined the game? <laughs> Technically, it was going up before he joined the game, but yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Correlation. But like that narrative has gotten so old to me that it's like I, I can't believe people actually think that. They actually think they're going to get drilled by more pitches because these guys are such terrible pitchers. And the only way they're the most dominant pitchers since the dead ball era is because of some pine tar crap they're putting on their fingers. Well, so maybe it's going up because they don't use pine tar or sunscreen until they get to the majors, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, that's got a lot more spin on it. i got to figure this out. i got to do more work with my sunscreen so that I can, you know, I, I know how to control it better. Well, the problem with that is there's actually been minor league pitchers suspended this year for using foreign substances. Like, they are using it in the minor leagues, too. It's just, I... It's a stupid narrative, and I can't believe like it. It keeps getting repeated, like it keeps getting thrown out there. Uh oh, more guys are going to get drunk. Some manager even said it. He's like, the game's already dangerous enough. Now we're going to take away. Like it is amazing to me that that is the narrative of oh, every pitcher in the sport is cheating. It's okay. It's for the safety of the hitters. What? I can't like I can't believe that's the narrative. Like I can buy the narrative of everybody's doing it, so it's not actually cheating. I'm, okay, like I can understand why people would say that. Everybody speeds on the interstate, right? Why you go? Why you speed? Well, everybody else was that. that I understand that, but I'm the idea of people passing, right? The idea of hey, we're cheating to save the hitters' heads. No, if you can't control the pitch without pine tar on your fingers, you probably shouldn't be in Major League Baseball. Like that's like that's probably where you shouldn't be there. And I have I do not believe that that is the difference. That some guys can't control their own pitches unless they have pine tar. Coming up next, Jason Fitz hopefully answers the phone. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Jason, how are you this morning? Man, I'm better now. That's a spectacular introduction. I need to keep that for every <laughs> party I ever go to in life and just play that as I walk in the door. Because you want everyone to know when you walk in the door that you do not like pie. Yeah, I feel like we should just start there, right? Like you just start at that point and be like, all right, what's up? Now what kind of party is this going to be? Are we going to fight the whole time or are we going to find common ground on the love of cake? Like it feels like this is a good strategy. Common ground on the love of cake. <laughs> All right. I do want to ask you about Derek Carr and yesterday saying that uh, he'd rather retire than play for a, another NFL team. Um, as a Raiders fan, did you love to hear that? And as somebody who hosts a radio show, how big of a liar is he? No, I mean, so the funny thing is different guys are, di are motivated by different things, you know, and, and remember Carr was pretty open a few years ago about the, the pull that ministry had to his heart in his rookie season and even thinking about walking away from the game. So he definitely marches to the beat, you know, the different drummer in what he prioritizes. So I don't know that I was totally surprised by it. It's just, it's, it's so amazing and it's so great and it's so sweet and it's what you want from your best friend. And then in sometimes like it's just sort of an eye roll athlete talk moment, you know, like it's just, it, it, as a Raiders fan, I look at it and say, great, I'm a huge Derek Carr fan, and I know that that's polarizing for the fan base. People are going to at me, blah, 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 blah. But 
Uh, again, I'll just remind you, do you remember having to watch Todd Marinovich? Like, I'm scared of going back into the draft <laughs> ever. I'm risk-averse at quarterback. I've seen more uh, more Marinoviches than I have cars, right? Like, so we have to acknowledge at some point, I think, that their car is pretty good. Like, in, in a world where we want everybody to be either Patrick Mahomes or awful, like, Derek Carr's neither of those. He's just in the land of pretty good. And if he's got the right cast around him, you can win some games. And if he doesn't, you don't. So, like, I, I don't think there's rocket science here. So, But as a fan, I listen to him and I think, man, that's great. I just don't know. You know, it, it feels so saccharine and so sweet. There's also a little part of me that's like, I don't know, it's like that romantic cute couple in the restaurant that's taking it just a little too far and you feel like they're doing it for the gram <laughs> instead of for, like, each other. That That's where I was on that. So, hold on. Are you a Derek Carr fan because of, like, Jamarcus Russell. Oh well, no, there's no like if all you've ever dated is crazy, you don't have to date <laughs> fame. You just have to date not quite as crazy to feel really good about it. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, as I said to people repeatedly that, that forget this, you know, uh, obviously look back at Raiders draft history, not free agent history, draft history at the quarterback and find one. I mean, I was laughing about that when they selected Derek Carr. It's like, hey, this organization in history never drafts and develops a quarterback. So, you know, I think it's fair to say things are, you know, it's complicated. The relationship between Raiders fans and quarterbacks is complicated. But the problem is, you know, you get you get pretty good out of one, and then all of a sudden you think, oh, he's going to be the next Aaron Rodgers. And those comparisons were just dumb. Like now he's a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the league, which is good enough to win, and he's paid like that. So I don't know why everybody gets so angry about it. The hypothetical scenario that I would love is the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers because, hey, he might never play for him, trades him to the Raiders, and the Raiders send back Derek Carr, and Derek Carr decides, nope, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to be a Packer. And so the Packers get rid of one quarterback that doesn't want to play for him and get another quarterback that also doesn't want to play for him. Yeah, well, if, if we want to be less altruistic about the, the desires and what you said at the podium for Derek Carr, I mean, he did destroy a lot of conversation on trade value, <laughs> should there be any conversation, right? So he may have helped end that conversation to begin with. But I'll say this loud and proud. Like, for everybody that, that keeps hearing the Aaron Rodgers rumors, in my mind, and I don't have any inside information, just my mind looking at everything, I think there is 0% chance that Aaron Rodgers plays for any other team this fall. The Packers will either have him play for them or they will force him to retire and write a $32 million check to the organization while they hold his rights. And while that may not be the smartest thing in some people's minds, it's the Packers, and they've been really adamant. Like when their organization speaks out so often, so loudly to the media right now about how strange Aaron is, I think that's their way of saying, hey, we don't really care what you want, and we don't care how the game's supposed to be played. You're going to play here or you're not going to play at all. That's honestly how I see the Aaron Rodgers thing playing out. So I'm not worried about him going to Denver, and I'm certainly not uh, worried about him becoming the Raiders quarterback. My favorite part of the Packers situation right now is that last week we got daily updates on whether Jordan Love was struggling or doing well in practice. Which is just, I mean, (laughs) so stupid, right? Like, I mean, everything about that is so beyond stupid that we're looking at this. I mean, same thing that we were doing with, uh, with, with Miami, right? Like, we're looking at Tua saying, oh, he threw five interceptions in practice. <laughs> of course, it's practice. Like, you should be working on things. Like, you should be trying things that maybe you won't do in the game. Like, uh, there's nothing to take away from that. Uh, last week, we talked about the college football playoff and its expansion or the possibility of it expanding. But one area that we didn't get to because this news didn't come out until later in the week is that to get one of the four buys, you have to be a conference champion and that Notre Dame 
cannot get one of those four buys. So there's a chance Notre Dame is undefeated number one in the country, but gets the five seed in the college football playoff. Did you take that to think, hey, Notre Dame might join the ACC within the next three, four, five seasons? A thousand percent. I think this was the rare moment where college football looked around as a community and said, hey, we're tired of what Notre Dame's doing, and we don't want anyone else to get a bright <laughs> idea. Let's be real. Like, If Texas decided they want to split out and do their own thing, the TV money they could make just like Notre Dame has made would be massive. And what college football has to look at at some point is say, all right, we're not going to let anyone else look at this Notre Dame situation and get a clever idea, and we're also not going to let Notre Dame continue to just come in and tell everybody else how they want to do business. I think it's hugely significant for Notre Dame, and now they're going to have to make tough decisions. The great thing is Notre Dame going to the ACC, I also believe, is really good for college football. Like, at some point, getting more competition in the ACC is not a bad thing. We watched it last year. And now, if you're telling me I'm going to get a conference that gives me Notre Dame, it's usually you know, at least a very competitive team. Clemson looks like they're going to be Alabama and just reset it every year. And, you know, teams like North Carolina have proven they can do some things. Like, now you have a more interesting conference. Now we actually have a reason to talk about Miami a little bit, you know, whereas uh, I, I don't know that the ACC has much pull, has much pull without uh, Notre Dame being a part of it. But the problem is, is then we have to watch Notre Dame lose in the college football playoff, and I, I, I'm, I'm tired of doing that. that. And that is such a real, like... I'm not one that usually looks at it and says, oh, well, you know, every year they lose in the playoffs because it's such a different roster. But now there's so much of it that's so recent, it is sort of a nightmare. Maybe for Notre Dame, having to get through the ACC will, A, make it tougher for them to even get into the playoffs so they won't be there when they don't deserve to be. And, B, maybe in that process it will give us a better gauge of where they are coming into it because it, it, something's got to change. You're absolutely right, like, I wonder, and we talked about this last week, like I wonder what the conversation is going to be like when we get blowout after blowout after blowout in the playoffs. And also, I've seen all of these metrics that they put up on social where it's like, hey, here would have been the playoff seedings for the last several years. I'll tell you this. I went through the mock playoff process in Dallas a couple of years ago through ESPN, and we went in there, 13 of us, we voted on everything, went through the process. The amount of time that was put into knowing who you're putting into the New Year's Six was, was real. And I think that there's going to be a lot of playoff committee people that are looking much harder at who 10, 11, 12 are if they know playoff spots on the line. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how a human committee handles it also. So there will be at least one non-power conference team in the playoff every year. I am fascinated to see how many times a Boise State, a Cincinnati, uh, you know, UCF ends up as the number 13 team in the country in the final rankings. And that is just going to be the, like, that's the maddening sort of, oh, my God, pull out your hair moment. I think what all of these, you know, group of five schools are doing is they're looking around saying, finally, we're going to get a chance without realizing that occasionally, yes, they will. But the committee is still going to tell you, repeat. and I've heard college football experts and, and people that I trust that have great opinions that, that watch a lot of film repeatedly come in and say they believe that the third best team in the SEC is better than the best of the group of five some years. And, and that's just, that's real. So what's going to happen when Cincinnati finds themselves on the outside looking in and you've got, you know, five teams from the SEC in the playoffs? Somehow? Like, it, it, these things are uh, going to happen. So everybody just needs to hunger down for it. It's still going to be big brands that are rewarded. Who deserves more criticism in baseball? The pitchers that have been cheating or Major League Baseball for deciding to do something about it in the middle of a season? You know, I I want to say Major League Baseball, but at the same time, I'm the guy that sits here all the time and yells at, at sports for not being proactive. 
And I feel like that's what Major League Baseball is doing. They're looking around right now saying, there's a problem. We need to get it fixed. And, like, I hear pitchers, but really what your – like, if your teacher comes in in the middle of the school year and says, hey, I realize everybody's been cheating on the algebra test, so we're going to change the process and make you actually take algebra. Like, at some point you don't get to say, yeah, but we got to cheat all year. Like, <laughs> I don't really understand the argument of, like, well, guys, it hasn't technically been illegal, so – since it's not technically against the rules, we've been doing it, it's still okay. Like, I, I don't buy that. I mean, at some point, they knew what they were doing was not a, by the written rule the way it was supposed to be done. They've been allowed to get away with it for a long time, and now everybody's cracking down. I may not like the speed limit, but if I get a ticket going three over, which I've done in my life, three? at some point, you know, the officer, yeah, three. Three over going downhill. And I looked at the officer and I said, I was only going three over. And he said, that means you were only in the wrong by three. So, you know what? I got my ticket. I took my lumps. Like, it may sound dumb in the moment, but speed limits are speed limits. Like, you choose not to follow them and you get pulled over. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll only get a warning. So, I don't know why these guys are complaining when they're finally getting pulled over. Was it the road here from the airport to the Strip? No, but my God, that's just like, I don't know. There's certain roads that I just get it. Like, I get why cops are like, you know, I'm having an easy day. I'm just going to sit on this <laughs> road for the next, like, you know, 12 hours and, and just, you know, I'm going to hit my, I'm not going to stay close at those, you know, those may or may not exist, but they're at least going to say, I'm going to have a productive day riding ticket. You know, that, that, that that's one of them for sure. Getting a new squad car. You're telling what? me, you're telling me this police officer came to your window and said, Jason, you were going 48 and a 45. I got to write you a ticket with a straight face. Uh, 38. It was 38 and a 35. Oh, yeah. I got that God. ticket. I, I got that ticket. I even went to court to try and contest it in Tennessee. And uh, I did not win, gentlemen. I did not win. What, the, so they're very what? Very strict. They didn't just very say, strict. "Oh, yeah, three over." What was this guy? Oh, I, I can't. I, I honestly can't believe it. Three over. I'd be mad for the rest I, of my I life would, about I, it. That, that's like within the margin of error. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't remember verbatim, but essentially, when I I was asked, you know, you stand up in those traffic court things, and it's like guilty or not guilty, and I was like, not guilty. I was going three over, and the judge essentially said. Three overs, guilty, and next, and then hit the little gavel, and I went and paid my fine. So there we go. Like my okay, if I'm driving with like cruise control on, and we go up and down hills, my car is going to go three miles an hour one way or the other of what I set it on cruise control. Yeah, well, let me tell you that it's the reason that you know I drive like a grandma now. Like I am, whenever anybody says we'll just follow you, I'm like cool, but I'm going to go like two under the whole way, and if you don't like it, I don't really care. I, I'm just, I'm not going to take it. I enjoy you yelling at other people saying, oh, you're going three over. That's dangerous. They'll get you for three over. <laughs> I do like that. Oh, man. The inner old man is just ready to creep out on me anytime. <laughs> so, yeah, I, anytime I can get off my lawn of three over, I'm going to do that all day. Well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. <laughs> Jason, as always, we appreciate it. Slow down out there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. you. I would be furious for the rest of time if I got a ticket for going three over. I'm telling you that that there's a road that it's a sweeping curve and then it takes you to like it takes you to the strip from the airport and the cop just sits there and it's like, yeah, you know, this is a 30, right? And it's like, I just came over a hill where it was 45 and now it's 30. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going 45 and a 30, even if it's a bunch of crap, how they set up the speed limit. okay. if you're going 33 and a 30 and they give me a ticket like I the, the maddest I've been at getting a ticket was. It was a two-lane road. There was a cop driving in the right lane, and he would, like, slow down just randomly. And so I just set my cruise control on the speed limit and passed him. 
and he pulled me over for reckless driving. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I have stories, but I'm not I can't I can't really tell them on the on the radio. I actually did get out of that ticket. Coming up next, <laughs> we need a new sharp. Uh, Jay was so close. We so have a close. jersey to give away. Should we keep it a mystery? Or I we know we told get, him. So yeah, we told him. All right, we have a Raiders Antonio Brown jersey to give away. You've got to get nine in a row, right? So you got to do some work here to get there. But you can be our next sharp. You can win a jersey. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to be our sharp, if you want to go on a streak, if you've got a pick for tonight, you could win a jersey. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Jay came up just a little bit short. He had the Padres last night. They got beat by the Rockies. So his streak ended at seven. Our record is eight. And to win the Antonio Brown jersey, you got to beat that and get to nine. Our new sharp today is Matt. So, Matt, you got to get to nine to win the jersey. Your first pick, anything from today, what would you like it to be? Uh, I think I'll start off with the Knights. All right. Golden Knights game two against the Canadians. We got you. All they have to do is win. We're not worried about puck lines or anything like that because apparently this is very hard to do even if you're just picking winners. All right. We got you in. Golden Knights beating the Canadians tonight. Good luck, Matt. If they do win, we'll be talking to you again tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. All right. Like that. That to me is the most amazing part of this is we have stopped like even caring about like lines or anything. Do you remember the football frenzy, the Friday football frenzy? Oh my God. People were so bad at that. You just had to pick a winner of the three games we gave you. And we went nine straight weeks without somebody being able to pick three games correctly. It's, I don't know what, like I, I love our listeners. Everyone, every single listener I have met has been an excellent, excellent human being. They are not lucky. It's hard. It's hard to pull it off. We are, maybe we're maybe we're the problem. Maybe we're bad luck. Maybe who do we have? Nate was the guy who was just picking the biggest soccer favorites he could find every day, and he only got to six. Like with what? Two mulligans? No, he he did. He wasn't the one that got the mulligan. We gave soccer as a mulligan for other people. Okay, Tom. We've think, had to give out mulligans. Yeah, Tom is the guy we gave two mulligans for, and he nailed both of them. He nailed both of his Australian League mulligans uh, and stuck around, but not for too long. So I do want to touch on one more thing from Major League Baseball and cheating. Uh, the pitchers, Tyler Glass now, pitcher God. for the Tampa Bay Rays. He is hurt, tore his UCL. He's going to be out about a month. They are hoping, Tampa Bay's hoping that he's going to miss about a month, maybe two, and will be able to come back after just rehab and will not have to have Tommy John surgery. Obviously, that would knock him out for the rest of the season. So that's their hope after his injury. Tyler Glass now talked to the media yesterday, and he gave this quote. I just threw 80-something innings, and you just told me I can't use anything, referring to illegal substances. I have to change everything. I truly believe 100% that's why I got hurt. I'm frustrated. Major League Baseball doesn't understand. You can't just tell us to use nothing. It's crazy. So Tyler Glass now believes that he got hurt because he stopped cheating, because he stopped using a foreign substance on a baseball. Now, 
he, he went into further detail about this, talking about the grip and how he had to grip his fastball and his curveball uh, tighter than he's used to because he no longer has a substance on his finger that does that for him. And this, to me, is one of the most ridiculous things I've heard because basically what Tyler Glass now is saying is that he can pitch without an illegal substance, but his stuff is not good enough. Right, His fastball is not good enough. His curveball is not good enough unless he has an illegal substance. And to make up for not having that illegal substance, he had to grip the ball tighter than he has before, and he thinks that led to his injury. So he was throwing pitches that his arm physically could not throw without tearing because he had an illegal substance, and he's mad that he can no longer throw those and blame Major League Baseball. That's what Tyler Glass now is going with. Right, He's like, well, I can't throw these pitches without cheating, and now you're not letting me cheat, so I tried to throw them and got hurt. That's his argument, <laughs> which is one of the most ridiculous arguments I've heard. That's the whole thing Major League Baseball is trying to stop. Your pitches are too good because you're cheating and nobody can hit them. They want you to stop throwing them that well, and he said, no, I'm going to try it anyways, and hurt his arm. That's what Major League Baseball is trying to stop, is you being that good. Because you also, can't naturally throw it that well. I mean, also, you, guy, guys got that injury before. Right. Like, like this is like, there's no evidence to say that, like, oh, everyone who's ever torn their UCL, they stopped. Yeah, they, yeah, they had no. They, they were, they were the clean guys. Yeah. Like, it's, it's probably a dumb argument. From Tyler Glass now, period. But even if you believe his argument, even if you believe he got hurt, if you accept the dumb premise, right? It's still a dumb. Pre- it's exactly what Major League Baseball is trying to stop because a pitcher like Tyler Glass now, like the the sticky stuff, doesn't actually give you a, a faster miles per hour. It increases your RPMs, right? But it, the increased RPMs is what keeps the baseball from dropping in the zone and actually makes it look like the baseball rises to the hitter, which is what makes it so hard to hit up in the zone because they swing under it, right? What Major League Baseball is basically saying is Tyler Glass now shouldn't be this good. Tyler Glass now is cheating. He shouldn't be this good. He shouldn't be that hard to hit. We're going to take away what he's cheating with, and it's going to lead to more hits. And Tyler Glass now saying, well, I tried to throw the same stuff anyways, and I couldn't do it and hurt my arm. It's incredibly stupid. I just love the, well, I tried to do it anyway. Right. Like, I tried to throw the same exact pitches I was throwing with an illegal substance, and I hurt my arm. This is your fault. I'm just, I'm trying to find some sort of metaphor, like, some sort of, like, thing to compare that to. And it's just, that is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Like, I, I agree with pitchers that are complaining that Major League Baseball is doing this in the middle of the season. Right? It should have been done in the preseason. But to be fair... They did say something about it. It's not like they didn't bring this up before the season started. But, yeah, you're not going to have sympathy for the guys cheating.